Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey there, this is your host, Tom of Robots, and two quick things to note right at the beginning of this episode. One, we noticed something right after recording this episode about Blade Runner, and that was that there, in fact, is a TV show coming about Blade Runner. It's an anime that is launching this fall, and it is called Black Lotus. It will be on Adult Swim, as you can see here on the video if you're watching the video version of this. And that leads me to the second point, and that is two, if you are watching the video version of this and you are hearing mention of this being a second episode, a follow-up to a previous conversation we had about Blade Runner where uh, Logan and I individually mentioned some things about our impressions about Blade Runner. Now, 40 years later after the film came out, and are wondering, where where is that video? Well, there wasn't a video because I wasn't feeling well and we both did an audio episode that wasn't a video episode. You can go back and listen to the audio episode on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever. Just search Cyberpunk Lorecast Spotify. That's probably the easiest way to do that if you're in a browser. Um, and as always, you can check out any of these episodes on the audio versions. There will always be an audio version. There isn't necessarily always going to be a video version. So if you're missing any of these episodes at all, and you generally watch the episodes, then you can always find an audio version of the episodes that way. So there you go. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Robots Radio presents... to the cyberpunk lore cast where style is just as important as substance welcome to the podcast where we explore the lore news and gameplay of the cyberpunk games and other dystopian worlds i'm your host robots cyberpunks guess who's in the house today that's right it's Robots and Captain Logan in the house. What, 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 what? 
That's how we talk. You cyberpunk. That's how we talk all the time. Uh-uh, uh-uh. All the time. All the time. Hey guys. Um. Hey, we're back. We're actually in the same uh, virtual room together. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, man, uh, Logan, thanks for doing our little uh, divided up show last week. Um. So I've got yeah. I've got good news. My brain is working again. Hey. I'm glad. I'm hey. glad. I'm- when you told me that you were having migraines, I thought it was because you got cyborg implants in your brain and I was super jealous. And I was like, I guess I'll record this thing about Blade Runner, Mr. Cyborg over here getting implants without me. That's fine. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't. But if you uh, are one of the uh, special few who either a tune into our pre-show because we are live currently at twitch.tv slash robots radio or listen to our pre-show because you get the extended version on our patreon then you will have heard us talk about something else that we might be pitching an idea for some really cool headgear that might give you migraines yeah (laughs) Um, or other people migraines or other people migraines you're gonna be the you're gonna be the coolest person in the raves when we get back to the raving in real life that's true oh yeah we need to get this out there before that becomes a thing um anyway anyway yeah so yeah i've been having (laughs) migraines i had to switch my medication up so i went through i went through this series i don't want to spend too much time on this i went through this series of I, i got this really nasty cold which supposedly didn't test positive for covid but i'm not really sure that that's true i have i was vaccinated so it wasn't super bad but then that went right into a series of more migraines and then i switched up my medication which really threw me for a loop because i was like super dizzy and like super messed up for like a week so it was just like two weeks of just like hell and then now i'm feeling better i got better so um yeah so uh i got through that and now everything seems okay again so yay uh but yeah thanks for throwing in your opinions about um blade runner and so this week we are following up on our blade runner conversation because we had we had some really good conversations we had some feedback from the community in the discord we got some feedback from other people we didn't get a chance to really i got to respond a little bit to some of the stuff that you said because i i heard your part of it i got to respond to your part you didn't really get to respond to my part there's a lot of different ways we can slice the cake on this topic because you covered things from a certain angle i kind of responded a little bit covered things from a different angle so tell you what Let's dig into that and we'll see how far this goes. I've got some other ideas of some things that we can be covering and I wanted to put this out there as well because um, let's I want to toss out this idea for some future content for the show because one of the things that I was considering for things that we could cover for the show, especially by the time we got to August, especially when we were back in like December, when Cyberpunk 2077 was released, was we were looking at the next year of content and we were looking at that, that remember that roadmap they put out? And I was thinking, surely by August, we would be getting, you know, DLC. Maybe some more story stuff, some more characters and things we could be digging into yeah, some more something. actual lore <laughs> in the game. Right. Some more things in the world. Um, and we really haven't gotten that a whole lot yet. So I saw I saw a theory put out online and the theory was that and I think that there might be a lot of credence to this, that what CDPR is actually doing right now is that they're holding out for holiday season this year to do kind of a soft relaunch i did see that and i think that there's there's probably some truth to this so they've they're kind of staying out of the limelight 
they're holding out and what we will might see in the next few months is a hey we made the game better we fixed a lot of the bugs here's what's coming out this december it's been a year look what the game looks like now and they're going to put out like okay here's the next big patch look what it does now it did this last year but now look at it it did this last year but now look at this and check out all this new content look at the new story bits that are in here look at what you can do with gangs or look at what you can do with this part of the world that wasn't there before so i I think we're probably still not going to get things for a few more months so in light of all of that i think it would be really cool to tackle some of the minor characters some of the world spaces some of the concepts so the fixers the burrows some of the some of the stuff in the game that we've kind of hit in the periphery but we haven't tackled directly and take a look at it what we know the things that we want to know more about and the things that you and i think would be really cool to flesh out more in the game as more gets developed for it and kind of build kind of a here's what we know teach people about this is what we know and then build kind of a wish list yeah like if they were to build out more info about say and and this is one of the ones that i want to know more about like the fixer uh wakako akata because she's connected to the tiger claws and the tiger claws feature pretty big in the story so far but she is very mysterious she's yeah. like this very interesting character and we don't know a ton about her but it'd be really cool to know more about her, you know? So like to, mm-hmm. to, to take character about like her and say, okay, here's what we know, but this is what we want to know. So th- I want to preface this with, okay, let's finish up our Blade Runner conversation, but then let's let's go through each of that stuff in the, in the next series of episodes and give people kind of more of that before we get the next big thing. Sound good? I like it. Okay. I, I think there's a lot to that. Cause yeah, and, and if possible, I'm going to try and convince you to let us rate the different the different fixers and the different burrows <laughs> okay all right, all right and i, I, I don't, don't like i don't rating. mind rating things so much as picking favorites i don't uh, picking a favorite is is very difficult for me but i don't mind saying like okay this i'll give this fixer like a you know seven out of ten or something like that that's fine how, how about we we base it off of a variety of quest and mm-hmm. uh development in the game like okay. how well do they develop? Cause we, we have, we have a couple really, really good fixers, I think. And I think it would be nice to kind of spotlight them as like, Hey, you know what? These actually kind of had the backbone, 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 backbone of the, <laughs> the podcast or, Oh my God. Restarting. Yeah. I, I think there's a couple that really hold the backbone of the, the game and without their quests, it would be a much worst game whereas there's some out there that are just like i don't know who you are and you're weird so why am i talking to this guy called mr hands of all things so right right i i think i would like to kind of dig in and be like all right you know what we're going to rank these based on how they impact the game how they impact uh v as a character do they show any actual human characteristics or are they just a a name in the area and you don't really have that much uh, that, that much really talk about them, but I did, I did want to talk to you because we are, are going to start with the fixers. Um, should we include Dex, Dexter Deshaun in this? Uh, we can, but due to some of the events in the game, there may not be a whole lot more to the, what else do we want to see part? Um, exactly. but there may be, um, it's not like, I mean, spoilers, not, 
just because a character may not persist directly in the story doesn't mean that that character's empire doesn't persist in the story. Oh man. Oh man. Wouldn't it be cool if they actually had like a, a guy who picked up the mantle of mm-hmm. Dexter to Sean's right. area. Right. Because come after you because <sighs> a fixer is sort of in a way like a, uh, like a, a warlord or a yeah. mob boss, a mob thing. boss in a way, sort of right. Mm. Like if, if, mm-hmm. if night city is a kingdom, then isn't a fixer kind of like a lord yeah of a yeah. of, a, of an mean, area like a minor lord yeah padre definitely very much feels like kind of the the head of the area uh for for like his section and stuff like it, it definitely you could i could i could fall in that line for sure i mean it, it kind of breaks down into a, like a feudal system in a way with um <laughs> kind of, Almost in a way where the corporations are almost like the religion of, oh my God, we've got some weird analogies that we can play with in this. Anyway, let's yeah, save that for a future really episode. <laughs> okay. So, um, man, okay. We've got, we've got some really cool content that we can dig into in the future, but let's finish up our conversation about Blade Runner. So we had some, we had some really interesting discussions. There's a different, few different places we can start with this. Where do you want to start? Cause I know, um, do you want to, do you want to talk about what I talked about, because we have some things we can go into. I feel like we should save the conversation for what happened with discord to the end of it. The, yeah, the questions wanted, about what is cyberpunk and all of that. Why don't we save that till the end? I, yeah. Cause I like, I, I went back and I listened to it cause I wanted to hear your, your side of things. And mm-hmm. after listening to my portion of it, I feel like I might've misrepresented my, my feelings on it. So I definitely want to dive into like what is considered cyberpunk and stuff. Cause uh, with Blade Runner, I, I as, as much as I love Blade Runner, I don't know that I'd consider it cyberpunk, but I definitely feel like it is a thing that has been a formative moment in media to define what cyberpunk can look at from an aesthetic perspective and say, like, if I were to make something cyberpunk, I would want it to look like Blade Runner. But, that, but right. I don't know that it would necessarily count as cyberpunk but the question that you had posed was why do we consider this to be foundational for cyberpunk genre right. i feel like i didn't really right. answer that right um, and, and 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 i think that that still answer that still matches what you're saying there are elements from blade runner that we use as foundational pieces for cyberpunk things yeah right yeah. it doesn't mean that blade runner itself is holistically cyberpunk but there are things that we take from blade runner and use in cyberpunk media yeah I, I did want to talk about because uh, you brought up a really good point and uh, I wanted to talk about pacing of the film because uh, that was something that I feel like I give a big pass on. And after listening to what you said about it, it definitely feels like the, the film itself does kind of move slower than I think most people would really be okay with and it, it does feel like one of those today, things where people currently yeah. today and and side note real quick but i don't mean to interrupt you again if you didn't no, no, hear no, the no. last episode please go back and listen to that first before you get too much into this because there's going to be a lot of things referenced from that that we don't need to go back and re-reference if you go back and listen to that so pause this episode go back listen to the previous episode and then come back yeah yeah. So, but yeah, I, I definitely think that the, the, the pacing of the film is, is a lot more uh, like it was in the seventies and eighties where it was okay. Kind of 
breathing in the atmosphere in a scene. And, you know, especially for example, uh, when, uh, Deckard goes to visit one of the replicants who is acting as a stage performer, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of just scenery that you can chew in or chew on when you're looking at that scene as she's, you know, getting undressed and getting ready to go out and leave and stuff. And he's just kind of trying to talk his way into this situation to see like, you know, if he can get close to her to find out if she actually is a replicant or if he can find out like what's going on. And, you know, there's moments that given had this been like 20, uh, you know, 2049 Blade Runner, it, 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 we, we would move past this a lot quicker. We would have had a quick discussion or they would have moved to a different scene or something would have uh, some catalyst would have happened that would have caused the, the inevitable fight to uh, happen a lot sooner. We wouldn't have been lifting in that moment. And the thing that I wanted to talk to you about was uh, a, a, a TV series. Cause you brought up the idea of blade runner being brought based off of the book as an actual TV series. Uh, and, and I, I, 100% agree with you. And if, and if folks haven't had a chance to, to watch it, I know you always recommend the expanse and I need to sit down and watch it, but mm-hmm. I would also recommend the first uh, season of altered carbon. Uh, Cause it does a really good job of taking a cyberpunk themed situation or, or story and breaking it up into different uh, episodes. And, and I actually would love to see what, what Deckard would be able to do if you had, uh, you know, I think it was originally seven replicants that were, that came from Mars on the shipment and a bunch died in the crash and one was taken out earlier. No, two were vaporized. And then the remaining four, uh, were out and about in the city mm-hmm. and you got to break down like a 10 episode, uh, series, you know, a little short HBO series, uh, of Deckard hunting down each, replicant you know two two episodes with a couple lead-ins or or or, you know ones in between to kind of bridge the the stories to taking down these different replicants and really have a a moment to yeah dive into that story of you know who are replicants why should we be considering them something that doesn't have to get terminated and and kind of lead in with that but it was was that kind of what you meant when you were talking about a series yeah yeah because there's a lot um Deckard goes through a lot of different emotions and we go through a lot of uh, exploration in both understanding him, understanding what he's learning and understanding who replicants are and what we should believe about them and what we should believe about Deckard. Right. Like he, he, it feels like he does. He feel like he really gets a moment to really reflect on stuff. Does he, it feel like he well okay. gets that time? So, so there's Sorry. there's two things that happen. Um, so I, I wanted to chime in real quick. Um, the slower pace is especially slow, even for well, it's slow in the case of it also being an art film. Yeah, this was an art film in the seventies slash eighties. So there's also that you know, like this is. This is an art film from a few decades ago, so it is yeah. particularly slow. Um, but it, OK, so let's talk about specifically that scene in the dancer's room, right? Yeah. Deckard, Deckard up until that point seems to be a very capable take no nonsense kind of guy, right? Mm-hmm. But when that scene happens, he's bumbling. 
Yeah, he's, he's he's got his face on. He's bumble right. And he and I think we're to believe that he's playing as a bumbling character in order to disarm other people from being suspicious about him. Yeah. Right? But yeah. but the but the movie doesn't tell us that. So we no. so we as the viewer have to assume that or we have to figure out like is he drunk? Is he accidentally being bumbling in the situation because he's uncomfortable is he scared of the replicant like we have to figure these things out as we go right yeah um so but i think that i think the actual thing to understand in that situation is that he is a good cop he's he's good at his job and he's disarming any potential suspicion about him by be by acting like something that he's not and he's being bumbling in the situation in order to disarm his prospective target from assuming that he's actually after he's he's dangerous right um yeah so to go back to your question about do do we actually have to go on that uh, on that adventure with him to see and and i think we do because he he goes from being somebody who's he's 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 on the straight and narrow this is my job Mm. this is what i do i i take down replicants this is what i this is my job this is what i do i take down replicants then he ends up in the situation where he is he uh uh he he meets uh what's what's her face the replicant the the girl that he ends up falling for rachel rachel and he interviews her and he fairly quickly realizes that she's a replicant actually i'll just a quick correction uh that that scene is cut way short and the dialogue is what gives it away um because uh he's he's talking to uh what's his name oh dang it i just blanked on his the name guy, the guy weird. uh tyrell uh he's talking to tyrell mm-hmm. and they comment about how it took over a hundred questions for him to realize that she's a replicant but that she doesn't realize it because normally okay he right. would only he would only like if we want if, if you take it was a, it was a nice uh, uh, difference. Like we saw the the first scene um, with the replicant being interviewed with the with the current Blade Runner who is now in the hospital, right. uh, and it took like two questions. Right, right. And the guy I, the guy flipped. I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm wrong in saying that it's qu- it, it was quick. I'm my I think my point originally when I first saw the scene was that it it took uh, it's the opposite. It took a while, but it was impressive to him that it was. <laughs> Yeah. that she was so human yeah and i think that's where the switch flips in his head and he's and he goes oh, totally and he and, and he's like and so that's the journey we're on the journey is like if she if if he can be if he of all people can almost be fooled that a replicant can be human mm-hmm. then at what point are they just not human <laughs> You know, it was it was an interesting thing that was a difference between the the book and the movie was in the movie. Uh, they don't dive into this, but when Deckard goes out hunting for the replicants, uh, he comes across uh, a cop who catches him in the act of murdering one of the replicants. And he starts asking him, like, who are you? And he's like, I'm Deckard. I'm a Blade Runner with such and such precinct. And he's like, that can't be. I'm, I'm a cop at that, at, at the precinct in this area and you're not a blade runner. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I know all the blade runners. You're not a blade runner. I'm taking you in for murder. And he's like, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. Just make a phone call real quick. Let me talk to my boss. He can tell you I'm a blade runner. And he's like, all right, cool. Call him. So he calls the number 
and then he gets the uh, the receptionist and the receptionist uh rings into the the his boss the one that sent him out to go get the actual replicants and he doesn't pick up and deckard's like all right what what what's going on here what's so he gets taken into a precinct huh. but it's not his precinct and he goes and he meets the chief at that precinct and he's like what is going on here i'm a blade runner and he's like all right cool you know i i believe that you're a blade runner that's fine let me just let's let's do our version of the void comp test and see if you're a replicant and he's like what do you mean your voice, your version? And they're like, well, we, we, we understand that there's a Voight comp test. We have another test that we use. And I'm like, man, can you and like, as I'm reading the book, I'm like, oh my God, can you, can you imagine like, if you, if, if you didn't layers. know you were a replicant, right. Right. Layers tested, upon layers. Like, like, how do you prove that you're not a replicant? Right. If right. You believe you're a replicant. Right. If you believe you're human. Right. So there was, there was this whole idea that didn't get, get brought up in the, in the film that I wish that they had in, in a TV series, I think would actually do a really good job. It would have time of, for that. Yeah, it yeah. really would. Yeah. Yeah. No, I but did have a, that's the thing is, is in, in a world where, excuse me, in a world where the replicants could gain enough power, they could create enough an, enough insecurity in the population about the nature of reality and design their own test that made people believe that people who test as replicants are people who are testing actually as humans. Yeah. Right. And there's, there's a whole, there's a whole system in the, in the series too, where they have these empathy boxes where you have to go like subject yourself to these machines to feel different emotions, to, to check your empathy level. Mm -hmm. And it's like humans have gotten into this dystopian future so badly that they have to have machines check their empathy based on this creed that is being preached by these people of how you have to have empathy. You have to be empathizing to animals, to creatures, to insects, to everything. It's what's our humanity and stuff. Mm -hmm. And when Deckard has been neglecting this empathy machine for so long that he starts getting questioned if he's actually a replicant or not, he's like, crap, I don't, I, I feel like I'm going nuts here. And I was going nuts for him. I'm like, I don't know how he's going to get out of this. He's, he's yeah. like done for he's in a, he's in a foreign precinct where he's being told that the precinct that he was in has been abandoned in an empty building for years. And I'm just like, what yeah. this isn't explained at all in the movie and i'm like man if you were questioning the humanity of of yourself as a human being as an organic human being versus an organic replicant with Im Im imprinted uh memories like you would you could feasibly go pretty nuts uh questioning self and oh, it's totally. just, it's it's not in the movie at all and i'm like that's so crazy yeah because i mean it's a totally secondary plot right um, yeah. yeah, you don't have time in the movie to, to explain that. It would be too, it's too complex for the common viewer to have time to grapple with in two hours. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah uh, I, did, I, I did have one question for you, though, mm -hmm. and uh, that kind of ties into the question about uh, like, how does it stand up as, as a film nowadays and stuff? And we were talking a little bit about like speed and whatnot mm -hmm. um, back in the, the early 80s and the 70s and stuff. Everything was practical. And when they were making all these sets, they had to make all these sets with actual things. Nowadays, mm -hmm. everything's CG. Right. Do you think that because they had to spend so much money making practical sets that they felt the need to linger in those sets? Because it's like, you can't just go make a quick set real oh, quick totally. or, or put them on a green screen and then have someone else craft, you know, a, an elaborate set and then have that for, for the background. It's like you, you built it. 
we're hanging out here for a little while because man, we just spent a lot of money on this set and there's a lot in it and we can't just like, you know, cut it off. We can do a matte painting for the background, but like we we're going to hang out here. Do you think that the, the advent of CG has enabled us to move from place to place to place in films a lot quicker and thus removing that kind of sense of, of lingering with, uh, with scenes in different films. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it, I think it, it can. Um, absolutely. Uh, but I, I don't know that that necessarily means the camera needs to stay in one place longer. I think mm-hmm. you use a, you plan to use a setting once you make it longer, but, um, you can plan to uh, keep the scope of the camera tighter and not build out yeah. a scene necessarily. So there is that. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, that's a good question. Um, okay. I think we've got, I think we've definitely got more to dive into, but why don't we take a break and thank our patrons and then <laughs> dig into some more, some more of this stuff. All right, here we go. In a world where solid-state electronics and vacuum tubes are still meta, people never stop loving atomic-powered everything. A chosen 500 stepped inside a subterranean vault to be spared the nuclear horror of the inevitable Great War. 25 years later, they emerge after the fallout settles to retake Appalachia. Among them, two former rivals whose blood feud will tear West Virginia apart in their epic struggle for survival. Chad, a vault bro who has a strength of 15, an intelligence of two, and is a complete wasteland dickhead. Simon, a complicated anti-hero who chooses light and hope, but accidentally becomes a cannibal and wakes up naked and afraid with a Scorch Beast Queen after a date goes terribly wrong. What? I mean, it's a wild wasteland, right? This dark humor radio drama will have you driving off the road and crawling out from under the fallout. Two men. One wasteland. And so many nukes. Chad, a Fallout 76 podcast, rated R. Now streaming on your holotape player podcasty thing. All right, patrons, thank you for hanging out with us, for supporting us, and for joining us every month. For those of you who uh, sign up to do so, you guys are part of what allow us to do this every every week and every month and every year and other scales of time that doesn't make any sense but thank you for being here (laughs) anyway um there are 15 of you currently and we very very much appreciate your support if you are interested in helping to support the show which is extremely important to me especially because it is part of my livelihood and helps me to continue doing podcasts for a living and uh, make this a full-time thing, then please check out patreon.com slash cyberpunk lorecast. You can check the regular pay what you want tier, which starts at $3. You can't be lower than that on patreon.com. Otherwise, I would make that that, but it starts at $3. You can pay what you want up to $25. Once you get to $25, then you can join us every month to talk about cyberpunk. 
And that's an, a super fun time that we love doing at the end of every month with you guys. So check that out at the pay what you want amount. You get ad free episodes. You get the extended versions where you get to hear us chat about things either at the beginning of the show or at the end of the show. And there's a bunch of episodes on there where you get ad free episodes and all the extra extra wonderful stuff. So thank you to everybody who helps support the show every month. You guys are the absolute best and we couldn't do it without you. So thanks so much. All right. Let's move on with our conversation. All right. Yeah, you guys in the con- in the chat are talking about I'm not wearing a hat today. I decided, yeah, whatever. I don't want to wear a hat. So no, you can't address it. Don't I give chat the satisfaction. I can't address it. No, it's been hot. It's hot. It was hot enough wearing headphones for the whole show. My ears get hot. My head gets hot. I live in Florida. It's hot. Um, <laughs> I, have a, I have a quick question to, to stay on track, Tom. How did you sure. feel about uh, the the choice of the director to hire little people to be uh, car thieves and trying to, to break off pieces of Deckard's car when he's sitting there? trying to trace back information about the replicants and the snakes. Um, I thought it was at first when I saw it show up again, because, okay. So some, some reference here, the last time before this time that I watched this movie, I was probably in college. So it's probably Mm -hmm. been about 20 years since I watched it. So some of the scenes I didn't remember. Well, um, when that did, when that did pop up, I, I was a little bit like, huh, but I, um, it did make me think like, Oh, there are probably lots of different types of people with different kinds of augments and um, even uh, potentially mutations and body oddities mm-hmm. in this in this highly polluted world. And mm-hmm. it would make sense that those people who are less uh, adapted or, or physically pure might be ostracized yeah so in that kind of situation although that in our modern context might be seen as like a oh oh, that's a no-no it might actually fit for the kind of terrible world that this had become to have people who were genetically considered inferior in that world to be in a situation where they are pushed to the the sides and need to be thieves and, and things so that was one thing i had considered when i saw that scene I could, I could definitely see that. That was, it was a scene where I was really surprised. It felt like they were gleaming from Jawas in star Wars, uh, with that scene. And it felt like a product of its time. And I, I was wondering, you know, given 2049, I don't recall seeing anyone like that in the film. And it seemed like an interesting thing that had happened because in, at least in, in the book, uh, they, they have people who are considered, lower intelligence and it is purely a a result of them living out in the wastelands where the the air is toxic mm-hmm. and those the specials is what they're called uh they're relegated to outside the city population because they can't get jobs they can't get a uh, citizenship kind of thing and they're they're treated as as less equal than standard normal humans that haven't been subjected to that so there's a bit of uh, a, a bit of a, an issue in the book with that where uh humans have have decided to 
ostracize maybe uh or, or relegate the specials to a certain group they've classified them and they're they're considered second class citizens at that point so when i saw blade runner and i saw uh little people were hired to act in these parts where they're supposed to be you know scavengers to an extent right. uh trying to steal what they can to survive it, it felt kind of like they were trying to pull in a part of star wars but they were trying to pull in a part of the specials and they just didn't explain it and i felt like that was a part of the film that really didn't age well uh yeah that if you look at 2049 it's there's nothing like that to be seen in there it deals with uh much different issues and focuses more on the story than trying to build out weird parts of of this city and then you know see it as something that is is in the future but different than what our normal world is because you don't see that every day right had, had they said something like uh you know mutants and cripples or something like that it yeah. may have made a little bit more sense, you know, like yeah. these, these are people with birth defects and and things because they are they are raised in a toxic environment and they physically are damaged. And they and because of that, society has ostracized them and has not given them medical attention in order to help them, you know, work in society like that. You know, yeah, they're not and, they're, they're not being the good the good uh, guardians that they should of right. of human right. life yeah 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 basically the haves are are destroying the environment and there's a well, significant section of society that is basically being damaged because of this and they're not taking care of those people that they are damaging because of the their abuses of the environment you know and yeah um and so yeah yeah you would have people who have growth defects and uh intelligence you know brain issues and all sorts of things. And those people would be scavenging because they can't get jobs and they can't, you know, live a healthy lifestyle. And yeah, that would be a very difficult situation. So in that, in that case, and yes, you might have people who have, you know, who don't look like you and me and have difficulty with all sorts of things. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So here, here's a question. Here's one of, one of the things I addressed was, um, the language used in the movie oh yeah <laughs> um what do you think about that i thought it felt very akin to uh most of the of the sci-fi films of the time it, it fit right in with dune or you know using weird like if we want to if we if they wanted because they didn't have the technology at the time is what i'm blaming it on is is if they wanted something to feel uh, abnormal or otherworldly or futuristic, they'd tack a pronoun onto it and they would use that okay. pronoun as opposed to like calling it what it would normally be. And, you know, like we're, we're not calling these cyborgs or androids. They're called replicants. Okay. And, okay. And so beyond that, and okay. I, and I don't, and that didn't stand out to me as much as some of the other stuff because that, I, that part I get, it was, mm -hmm. it was more of the, um, like for like example, weird words. No, it was it was the it was more of the pace of conversation. So for example, in in the opening scene where the replicant is being tested, and mm -hmm. you have you have the tester, the guy with the 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 cigarette. Yeah. Right. And he sits down at the table and he gets the machine out and he's got his cigarette thing, and he and he says, uh, I don't remember the specific dialogue, but he's like, hey, he's like, all right, Mac, and he's like talking to the guy and he, he asks him a question, and then the guy responds in a way where it's almost as if he didn't even understand what the guy said. 
Oh, you're okay. You so know what I'm I, saying? I, and he's, I and remember he's just, this conversation. Yes. Right. And he, and he says something as if he doesn't even understand what he said. And then the guy responds in a way where he read the response. Like he purposely said that he didn't know what he said, but he knows that he was faking. Like he didn't know what he said, like the, the subtext and the delays in responses, like that kind of sub text like that sub conversation that happens that thing doesn't happen in our conversations anymore no that happens in 1950s conversations when you watch like old film noir movies i i I didn't even attribute it with other film franchises i i purely attributed it to uh, a replicant trying to fake his way through a test. Okay. So you think it was intentional. You think this was a very intentional, like somebody who isn't used to talking to humans being uncomfortable in a situation, trying to fake their way through something. It was, it was the first scene where we're being told that this human actor is playing a part where they are a cyborg or an Android. And the only way we can judge that is if you have him not blink, have him question assumptive things about a question that we we really would be able to understand mm-hmm. like he he was asked like uh he he like in an interrogation if you're looking at someone and they are reading off your personal information and they say your address you're not going to be like that's my apartment it's like yeah he knows it's your apartment that's why he's reading your address like right. that is an assumed thing we wouldn't question that right. or uh you know like what desert what do you mean? What desert? That's not the, that's not the point. Like most of us would gotcha, gotcha. register the entire question before you, you we the, actually, you get the intent of the question. Not okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. So you think that that was that. Okay. So another, another place where this sort of happens is in Deckard's responses to other people. Sometimes, uh, and, and I don't know if this can be attributed to Harrison Ford's acting skills at the time. Oh, because, do we want to get into that? Because sometimes Harrison Ford comes across as kind of wooden. And I think I that's the description I would use because sometimes we, he does. Um, but that's a, that's a scary topic, Tom. Do we really want to talk a about scary topic? But sometimes like somebody will say something to Harrison Ford in a movie and he does this thing where he goes, Hey, (laughs) and I don't know if that's because he genuinely didn't hear the person or if he doesn't, if the character he's playing doesn't understand or if he's just like pissed off or, or like, I I don't know. But like there, there are these moments where like, there are these delays and understanding between characters. And I think that, that this is, uh, this is a trope that you see in old movies where characters, they misunderstand each other. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't, for some reason I don't, and I don't understand why this happens in old films. The audience gets it. Like you, you, character A says a thing, audience comprehends character B goes, what? for no yeah. reason you know and this happens in a lot of old movies and, and old tv mm. shows and and it happens again in blade runner and it's an old trope oh man i wish i had a, a like an actual example that i could grab and take a look at because a lot of the a lot of the responses that i that i found in deckard's conversations were something that i that i would i would label as uh detective's intuition where 
a lot of times what a detective, uh, at least in films, I can't speak to, you know, sure. actual detectives. I've never talked to one, uh, but you know, based on other films of the time, it always felt like what he was doing was subtly asking for more information while trying to get the information that he wanted without letting in, letting people know like what he was trying to get at, you know, right. it's, it's much easier to ask a quick question and let people talk. Cause a lot of people just love to talk. Right. We're, right. we're perfect examples. Or play of dumb or not respond quick enough so that they keep yeah. going on. Yeah. And, and try and reveal more than, than they're intending because they are getting frustrated with him not comprehending like if, if they elaborate, then elaborate more on what they're saying, or if they're going into more detail without, without much prompting, that's fuel for him to understand what's going on in a situation without actually having to, uh, interrogate them and, and he can gleam off more information. So I think that was always where I came at it from, from the perspective of Deckard. I, <laughs> I, I will say that Harrison Ford's acting is is not necessarily <laughs> necessarily <laughs> the best uh he definitely has a a character type that he plays and the strong silent type is usually his go-to you know it's it's one-liners and quips and most of his uh most of his acting is is done by you know working punching through something uh, instead of actually having a dialogue, I think like Indiana Jones is the best example of him, like actually working stuff out yeah. while he's like, you know, he's got, he's got his chalk in his hand and he's writing on the, on the ward. He's trying to figure out like what's going on. And that's the, <laughs> that's about as good a Harrison Ford acting as I, as I feel like you really get, <laughs> right, get most right. of the time. Right. It's a good thing. He's got a, a pretty face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So other questions. Um, how do you feel about the ending of the film, especially the conflict at the end, like the fight oh, scene, man. the fight scene at the end of the film, because I have some thoughts about this. I didn't address it on the last episode, which by yeah. the way, I didn't, I don't, I didn't mention this. If you are watching the video version of this, we only do the video versions of this when we're both available. So if you're wondering like, well, where is the video version of this? Cause you only watch on YouTube. It's only available on the audio platforms. So look it up on Spotify or Apple podcast or whatever you listen, listen to podcasts on. So if you're not a regular podcast listener, try that and you can look it up on your browser, just search it on Spotify, it'll come up on your browser, but you'll have to listen. There's no video version for it. So yeah, um, just go go to robotsradio.com. Uh, right yeah. There. Yeah. So you, you can find it on that. Uh, but just even just searching uh, Cyberpunk Lorecast, Spotify will give you a list of all the episodes for audio yeah. versions. Um, so uh, from the scene of like Deckard being hunted down like an animal with the guy without his shirt on, which I think is an animalistic thing, which I, I'm guessing that's representing the animalism in that rather or the sexy 80s thing. I don't know. Um, yeah. Which is a little bit weird uh, to the whole punching through the wall and the, uh, you know, like there that whole final sequence has what I what I'm guessing is a lot more to do with symbolism than it has anything to do with actual like interesting um athleticism or what an actual fight would have been like or anything like that 
this is this is another one of those how did it age uh yeah <laughs> situations yeah. I, I, i'm gonna chalk it up to symbolism but what do you think I 100% believe that it was uh, actual prowess. Um, Roy Batty is intended to be a soldier class replicant. He is intended to be a super soldier. Right. And much like the Terminator, he should be something you fear. But because he is so eloquent and so interesting of a character, you don't have that sense of fear the way you would if Adam Smasher was walking towards you. And because of that, the fight between Roy and Deckard is left in this weird state where you're asking a character or an actor who is predominantly a very strong male lead going up against another male strong lead in a situation where both of them are in, of the understanding that they are human beings. Neither of them is really that much stronger than the other, but one has to pretend that the other one is so much stronger. I mean, if you watch the scene between um, Deckard and uh, the other replicant who I can't remember, he was the miner uh, from Mars, but he was the one at the very beginning of the scene uh, where he shoots the other blade runner. Mm -hmm. uh, that guy picks him up and starts slamming him up, up against right. the walls and right, stuff. Right, and you right. think he's going to, you think he's going to get his neck broken at this point. And Harrison Ford, to his credit, cannot act scared. Well, <laughs> he can act scared badly and it looks terrible. <laughs> and he, he looks like he's like bug eyed and he's like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. And he just, he, okay. he doesn't, you don't have a sense of fear from him. And yeah. that really, it really detracts uh, uh, on screen when you're, you're supposed to be going up against this person who can literally smash their head through uh, a tile wall in a bathroom and not get faced it all you can get stabbed in the hand by a, a shard of metal and, and it's not going to you know mess with him at all or a nail you know it doesn't it doesn't mess with him because he's so uh able to to deal with that kind of pain he's able to deal with that kind of torture and stuff so when i see the when i see roy uh trying to show his he, he's trying to show that he is the better creation He's trying to prove he's his toying. worth. He's toying with him the whole time. He's toying with he him. He very well could have killed him like multiple yeah. times during that entire sequence. Yeah, he's he's trying to ask, he's he's asking in a in a in a sense of fear. Decker, do you think you deserve to live with how fragile you are compared to how strong I am? Yet I don't get the, the ability to live as long as you do. How fair is that? And that's when you get to that point at the very top of the of the rooftop where Roy gives his soliloquy. And it's so beautiful that he's just like, you know, I have seen some crazy stuff out in space, stuff that you wouldn't even imagine. And all of that's going to go to waste because I didn't get the choice to live however long I wanted to live. And he kind of comes to that resignation of like, this is what it means to be human. This is what it means to have a life spent and only be, only truly get to experience it once and never get to uh, have it beyond that. So when I, when I get to actually see that animalistic behavior, that, that hunter prey uh, scenario with, with Roy and Deckard, that's the moment where Deckard really realizes that like life is precious and mine is in risk here. And if I don't do anything I possibly can to get away from this psychopath, who's trying to prove his humanity to me, I'm going to die. 
And Roy is totally fine with that because he feels like he should be the superior species right now. And he isn't, and he hates it and he's taking it out on Deckard as well too. So mm-hmm. I see it as, as, as definitely uh, a very physical thing. That's not very acted or acted very well, but uh, I can definitely appreciate the symbolism that you're, that you're talking about. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because if this was done today, it would be just kind of did. I mean, well, I mean, we did, With, we did make a new movie, right? Like we, we, well, we um, Batista and, uh, um, oh, not Ryan Reynolds. What's the guy's name? <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. It's the budget Ryan Reynolds. What's his name? God, I hate myself. He was in blue Valentine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now I can't think of his name either, but in, in, in the real girl in 49, right? Yeah, in 49 yeah, yeah. him and batista have that fight in in the in the shack yeah yeah and and it's much much better done um yeah <laughs> way way better done yeah and and yeah a better fight with the same symbolism is is much better yeah like that that the combat in that comes across very awkwardly um by today's standards the the building is really cool yeah the building's yeah. really cool decker getting his fingers broken is really cool i i oh man that <laughs> that like that like they did that really well especially with oh. the reliance of his gun like the fact that he needs that hand oh, yeah. to shoot that gun like that yeah. was done really well the um climbing out onto the precipice and the like the fragileness of him up on the precipice trying to get away oh yeah like that that was really cool the symbolism like you described it i think you did a really good job describing all of that was really cool just the the awkwardness of the like the animalism combined with the superiority of the cy- like cyborg human thing in the 80s like like had that been arnold schwarzenegger in like a terminator kind of way that would oh, have yeah. been badass but it we just weren't quite there yet yeah. you know this was not directed by um what's his face who did the terminator james cameron. james cameron if this was directed by james cameron that would have been a completely different scene but this yeah. scene was not directed by james cameron um but otherwise i think yeah. i think the concept of it it was right it just we just weren't there yet with film um I think we, I think we were, I think the acting, I, I, I feel like it was purely down to casting. Cause I think the, the, and I, and forgive me for, for forgetting his name. He was in, you know, RIP. He, he was the Roy was the perfect choice for uh, playing a character who was questioning hum, humanity and in spirit. And he was um, super creepy, especially in the scenes oh, where, totally. where he, uh, they were with like the doll maker guy. And he was like, yeah. like talking with them and like asking them questions and being his friend and like all that, like Such that stuff, scene. like that stuff is super creepy and like really weird. And like, especially with the, the weirdness of that whole room, like th- that reminded me of um, some of these other 80s things like uh, Brazil and mm, yeah, like some of that stuff, like those, like totally like that kind of stuff. That's that's what that gave me those kinds of vibes. But when it came to the combat stuff later, I think had he been filmed differently with less, I mean, I, I liked the whole, like if we didn't know where he was and there were just like, if he was hunting Deckard in a way where we had no idea where he was and every so often there was like an arm that just punched through a wall and then yeah. an echoing voice 
and then something just like jumped through a floor and then Deckard was able to dodge through a window to get away or you know like just these moments of like Deckard is not safe and he's moving quick quick enough to get away but he's just not safe and they were just yeah. like you were saying they weren't staying on the set because the set cost them an arm and a leg to build and moving from room to room to room quickly that would have worked out really well but instead we have the sense that he was like right there at every moment and able to destroy him very easily in his shirtless sexy body <laughs> yeah i i definitely feel like like if you it, let's take for example the the 2049 and i and i looked it up real quick it's uh uh, uh budget ryan reynolds is ryan gosling so that's I'm right, right. Very, ryan gosling. very sorry yes. uh, budget ryan reynolds um the the tension between dave batista's character who you know is a field medic in in a wartime uh who is a replicant and the the tension between him and Ryan Gosling, who's they really good in that movie. There for. Oh God, they're so both of them really yeah, good, really well good. done. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a tension there that is not there between Roy and Deckard. That if you had filmed it differently, if if um, there it's had because been, they're quiet. Yeah, it Roy didn't Batty, feel like there was much anger. Roy Batty just talks and talks and talks. The two of them, there's so much just like just looking at each other and just their subtext. They say a thing and they look at each other. You know what it would have done if Roy was faster, if yeah. Roy Batty yeah. had moved quicker yeah, and it wasn't so cold. Like if you're, if you're big and bulky, I think the slow methodical crawl for, for hunting someone is definitely there. But if you're going to strike, Prove to me that you're like that superhuman yeah. you know, replicant and, and move quick. Like, right. I want to see you like dive on right. Deckard and really like freak him out. Make him right. feel like he's make him, panicking. Make to, him jump out a window. Out. Make him have yeah. to like have to move. But instead, yeah. he was slowly getting out of the way the whole time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But that was definitely that is definitely something that, that kind of messes with me at that end scene. I think that the end scene does a great job of telling the, the story that it needed to. Uh, if anything, I, I felt like uh, Pris got on the short end of the stick this whole film because she was a character who did not get to lean into her design the way most of the other replicants got to. Mm -hmm. And she was she was just kind of there as a as a way to uh, bring um, Roy in connection with people to get to Tyrell and because of that it it really didn't feel like she got served the the uh the time that she should have been served for that film um yeah, and the fact that she died the way that she died felt so i'm sure it was really cool when they thought about it but it is like it's you know she did everything she could and she did a great job i think that the way that she she was written was absolutely terrible in that film they could have done a much better job doing just about anything else with her character and she could have nailed it uh so i if anything i feel like if, if i had to take anything out of that scene i would have taken her death out of there and written a whole new death where it involved more seduction where she mm -hmm. was trying to pull deckard deckard in to a false sense of security and play on the on the questioning that he has uh because of of rachel right, and right. makes him the dilemma get into that sense yeah like should i should i believe like and and this is something that's actually talked about in the book like in the book there is a love scene between deckard and rachel and it's a constant question it's like 
you're just with me right now. Are you just with me because you want to conquer me? Because it doesn't feel like you actually love me because it doesn't feel like you can actually love a replicant because you're married. So what is it with me right now? And that's not explained at all. That's not brought in at all in the film. And I'm like, that would have been a good thing for Pris. Mm. Pris could have taken that scene and really pulled Deckard in and being like, hey, you, you want to love me, but you're so against the idea of loving a replicant because why? Right. And try and convince him and then try and kill him that way. And it's like, uh, you're going to make her do a couple flips and then, you know, crack her leg or, or get shot. And that's it. It's like, oh, yeah, man, yeah. could have written. I also better. think I also think if, the, if that was written today, that she would be the one that got away in the end. But Decker wasn't aware of it. That would have been cool. That would have been really good because it would have that leads up to a in. potential sequel where she yeah. like we the audience get some sort of hint of like, nope, she survived it. But Decker yeah. didn't know. And then. It, that leads to something in the next film where somehow information from her brain was downloaded into somebody else. And then, you know, who knows? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, dude, we're getting, we're getting close to the end of the show. Um, okay. any, any last thoughts on any last thought? We wanted to discuss the, the definition oh. of cyberpunk a little, a little bit. Um, yeah. Do you have some thoughts on this? Cause this was discussed on the discord, the robots radio discord. If you're not on there, you should be on there. Cause there's lots of cool stuff happening on there. Um, yeah, just just to, to address uh, vanity of uh, Eli C. Lee in, in the Discord, we had a good conversation. And, and the idea was uh, the discussion of, of uh, Blade Runner as a foundation of cyberpunk. And, and we got into into a back and forth about what it means to be cyberpunk, because uh, the way I think of cyberpunk and Blade Runner are, are very different than how many other people may think of, of Blade Runner because Blade Runner is kind of inclusive in that, that idea of like what is considered cyberpunk. It is now in the, in the realm of, of cyberpunk films. And I, I look at it the way I look at, uh, and, and this is my example pulled from the discord. When you think of the movie, the crow with uh, Brandon Lee, it is a very dark film, but most people wouldn't consider it a goth film, but a lot of goths have taken that aesthetic from the nineties and applied it to their, uh, their look, their, their aesthetic and are using it as the primordial clay, the, the reference material to make goth. And nowadays, most people would look at the crow and say that is a goth film made much way that that most cyberpunks would probably look at blade runner and think blade runner is a cyberpunk film when in actuality it is to me at least the essence of what makes an aspect of cyberpunk because i think if you were to look through what cyberpunk is say you had a a, a round glass and you were looking through that glass and that glass was labeled cyberpunk you would see whatever it is in your mind right now that makes you think of what cyberpunk is to you where I think that if you truly look at what cyberpunk is, that glass is not just a, a plain circle of glass. That glass is actually a prism. And as you look through that prism, you may see multiple facets of what's through that prism that will all be slightly different from the other angles of that prism. And because of that, you can gleam certain things like the crowded uh, dystopian future of, of a city in ruins that's constantly being rained on. And that is, that is cyberpunk. Or you could look at uh, 
certain films where they have a lot of neon aesthetic and a lot of augmentations and mutants and uh, clear clothing or things like that. And that is cyberpunk. And we had a really good discussion about what is considered cyberpunk. And I was curious to know how other people felt uh, about what is your cyberpunk because uh we had two games that have been kind of uh come out in the last year that have been called into what is considered cyberpunk the ascent and uh cyberpunk 2077 and from a story perspective i think cyberpunk 2077 does a really good job of showcasing what cyberpunk is obviously they had a lot of uh work to go with with you know actual artelsorian's story and stuff like that whereas the ascent to me does a really good job of taking the blade runner facet of that prism and applying it to a futuristic perspective and seeing like, what would things be like in 3020 uh, or 3030 uh, in, in saying like, what, what is the world when aliens have mixed with humans and we all speak common and we all have a really neon kind of perspective. So uh, that was kind of the conversation that we were having in there. So I wanted to, to, to kind of hit, hit, bring you in Tom to the conversation and say like, yeah. what is it about cyberpunk that makes cyberpunk your cyberpunk? Uh, that's a really good question. Tell you what, why don't we talk about that next week? Ooh. Because this could be an entire show's worth of, of conversation. <laughs> and I think Here's that this would time. be really cool to get people to chime in to and share their thoughts on the discord. And we will highlight some of our audience's thoughts. And if this continues being a thing, this might even be something that we can talk about with our patrons at the end of the month and get some of our mm. patrons thoughts directly on the show. So um, I think we should also probably cover some of the more official definitions so we can get some of the official definitions. We can talk about official uh, works of literature, movies, and that way we can get like all, like you said, in this whole spectrum, we can get all of these different shards of different, you know, variations within this whole big genre or subgenre of kind of future fiction. And we can go into all these different parts of it. I think this would be a really cool conversation because we really haven't defined it. We started this podcast, but we didn't really define it ever. So this might be a really cool thing to do. So um, sounds awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, cool, guys. Uh, do you have anything cool to share before we head out? Um, things are pretty slow right now for Keelhauled as far as like CFD's content goes. We're kind of uh, just seeing how, how the studio plays. There's uh, not much going on. So kind of uh, taking a break on that and uh, playing some other games right now because we're getting into fall season. So, you know, a whole bunch of cool stuff's going to be coming out. So yeah, that's about it. But uh, other than that, um, just head over to the discord. I, I would love to have this conversation continue on, on the cyberpunk. I'd love to hear kind of what are some of some people's favorite cyberpunk films or books so we can start kind of building a list of, of what I need to check out. There's a lot of Gibson out in the world that I need to, uh, to continue listening to like neuromancer and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but that's about it. If, if, if folks want to get a hold of me, do that in the discord. Uh, you can always message me on Twitter at C A P T underscore L O G U N. My DMS are open. If you, if you wanted to say something or even just say hi, that works too. Yeah. Just but say hi. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That's and, all I got. And tell us on the Discord what 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 things you think specifically make something cyberpunk for you. Like what mm, ele yeah. what elements are the most important for you? I, I want to hear about that stuff specifically too. Um also, uh we'll be back in just a few minutes with the Mass Effect Lorecast. We're talking about the last few of the different races. I mean, there's a ton of races in Mass Effect. You wouldn't think about really? it. You don't think about it when you think about it. 
when you think about it, you don't think about it. But there's a lot. We're going to be finishing up the races. Also, um, we've been uh, on Monday nights. We've been doing the Witcher Lorecast, which is just blowing up. Everybody loves the Witcher and the Xbox Game Pass show, which the Ascent is part of. So if you haven't spent a buck for like three months of Xbox Game Pass, go do it. It works on PC also. You can play the Ascent, which is super cool. It, the, the world of the Ascent is like magnificent. It looks amazing. Um, also, Logan, have you seen Starmancer yet? It's a it's like an early access on Xbox Game Pass. Have you seen this? I think I, I think I have. Is that the one where it looks like the Tron uh, movie poster? With the, the guy holding the thing up? Or am I thinking I another? I don't think so. Some some of these have multiple posters. This one is like. Um, have you ever seen RimWorld? Have you played RimWorld? I am familiar with RimWorld. I haven't played it though. Okay, so RimWorld is the kind of game where you basically you have like a colony on a planet, and you okay. have these little people who work in your colony, and they're autonomous. They just kind of take care of things on their own, and they each have different abilities and different personalities, and. Mm-hmm. You, you say things like, hey, you should build a thing here and then one of them will go build it and hey, you should plant some crops here and then somebody will go plant them and then they just take care of stuff as they go. But then things happen like some, you know, and they have different moods depending on how well things are built or how little sleep they got or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is kind of like that, but you are on a colony ship and Ooh. we like weird crap happens and you get invaded and you mine mm. things off of other planets and and, and it's it's early access but it's pretty cool so if you like futury space type stuff you might want to check this out because it's it's kind of cool um some little Sweet. some little blob things invaded my ship last night and started sucking on my power cables uh <laughs> like my knocks yeah oh my god yeah i had i had to punch one until it exploded because <laughs> i didn't have any weapons that's something Harrison Ford should have done. Him and Chewbacca should have gone out to clear off the Minox and just punched him to death. Yeah. I also, um, in my um, early game, I accidentally built too many things. I ran out of resources to build other stuff. So I had to sell all of my med kits. Oh my God. Which wasn't a good idea, but it's all I had in order to build a refiner, in order to refine my ore, in order to make actual metal, in order to power my warp drive. Oh my gosh! Because I didn't know how things worked yet, so it's one of those games where you like you can totally you totally mess stuff up if you don't know what you're doing. Um, what is this, what is it called again? Star Mancer. Star Mancer. Star Mancer. Star Mancer. It's an it's an early access game, so it's not all all right. built out yet. But it's worth it's worth poking around in. You, you should go ahead and try it. Um, anyway, especially if you have a Game Pass, it's free. It just came out recently. Um, but anyway, yeah, come check out come check out our Xbox Game Pass show. We try stuff out, so you don't have to. Especially if you have a limited <laughs> download. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, but we'll be back in about 15 minutes with the Xbox. No, with the uh, Mass Effect Lorecast. That's what's coming up next. I do, I do both shows with with N711 with Sam, so they're kind of the same show in my head. All right, guys, thanks for hanging out with me, Logan. Thanks, chat, for being here. Don't go anywhere. Hang out with the uh, the music, and we'll be back in just a little bit. See you guys later. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Cyberpunk Lorecast. This show is a part of the Robots Radio Network, a smart podcast for interesting people. If you'd like to help support the show, please tell a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. If you'd like to get in contact, please send an email to cyberpunklorecast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at cyberpunklore. Also, join the community on the Robots Radio Discord. The link is in the show notes. 
The music on the show was written and performed by The Midnight and was used with their permission. Go check them out at themidnightofficial.com. Until next time, stay safe in Night City. We'll talk to you later. You've been listening to a Robots Radio Podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. Do you like adventure? Yeah. Do you like laughing? Uh, yeah. Would you like to listen to a group of people you don't know play D&D and reference retro pop culture you vaguely remember? Um... Excellent. You're going to love Committee Quest. We play D&D in the world of Amarin. We use adventure modules and supplements made by people in the community. We also have a sweet synthwave backing track. Come and join us on our adventure. Volume 1 has been completed. Volume 2 coming the end of January. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey there, my name's Jameson, or Big Cat. And I am Brenna, or Mother Goose. And together, we are the hosts of The DL, Weekly Gaming News. Each week, we bring you the top stories from last week, as well as something you might have missed. Our goal is to start a conversation about what's going on in the world of gaming. And every week, we have a special guest join us in the chat room, where we discuss a different gamer-related topic and learn more about our guests in the 60-second download. And if that isn't enough, we also have Slim Jims. So come and hang out with us every week and join in on the conversation. Good luck and have fun, everybody. And remember, keep your goose loose. Ever wanted to be a content creator but had no clue where to begin? Come join me as I sit down with content creators that have already faced the challenges you're up against as they discuss the tips and tricks that help them be successful here on The Content Creator's Guide, available wherever podcasts can be found.